Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is a weekly podcast where we get together and talk about what it means to live a Christian life in the 21st century. We usually have a story or two from the news, which we kick around from the standpoint of how we as believers are interacting with the outside world, if you want to call it that, with unbelievers, with people who haven't come to know Christ yet. And then we look at a scripture verse, a couple of verses to see just what God is trying to say to us this week from his word. If you want to catch me with a comment, question, anything like that, suggestion, you can either get me at the blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com, or at my email address, which is nftw at sbcglobal.net. I look forward to hearing from you. Now, I've got actually two news stories this, uh, this week. Let's get to them right now. Okay, as we look to the news today, I have a couple of stories. First one is a quick one. It's mostly a request for prayer. It's from ChristianPost.com. The title of the story is Missionaries Pray and Fast for God's Intervention in India. I don't know if you've been covering or following what's going on in India right now, but there's been a real wave of violence against Christians there after a a Hindu leader uh, was killed. And this has been going on since late August, I believe, and it's just been a real, real mess. So far, it says that at least 51 people have died. Uh, Tens of thousands have been forced to flee their homes uh, to escape the violent mobs that have burned hundreds of homes and churches to the ground. And Youth With a Mission is calling on all of its workers to join in three days of prayer and fasting. That would be starting October 2nd of 2008. Three days of prayer and fasting for the church in India as it continues to face violent attacks from Hindu radicals. So just be praying. I don't know how aware you are of the situation. If you're not, you know, look it up and get to know what's going on there so you can pray more, uh, more intelligently or more informed in a more informed way. Pray for our Indian brothers and sisters who are facing some real challenges now and that violence and all that nonsense that's going on there really needs to stop. Our second story is also from ChristianPost.com, dated Wednesday, October 1st, 2008. The title is Churches Step Out in Faith Amid Economic Challenges, and it's about a survey that was done. It says the survey was done of uh, 105 churches from 30 states that ranged from 1,400 attendants to 10,000. And it shows that 30% of the responding churches say they're planning a capital funds drive for new property or building for 2009. And among uh, churches with 5,000 to 6,999 attending, 44% of them are planning on a capital funds drive. Uh, This also shows, the survey does, that uh, for 2009, churches are anticipating a moderate to significant increase in spending on facilities, followed by missions giving, information technology, staff salaries, communications and program, and staff uh, continuing education. I just had a couple of thoughts here because there's another interesting uh, statistic here from the survey. While, let's see, what, 44% of these churches that have 5,000 to 6,999 are planning to uh, have a capital funds drive, 30% of all churches in this uh, survey are planning on a capital funds drive. It also says that 25% of those churches are planning to do a fund drive for the poor and needy in their community. I just want to ask the question, 
where are the priorities here? If 30% are planning a capital funds drive for new facilities, but only 25% are planning to do a fund drive for the poor and the needy, does that show that there's something wrong? I think it does. See, God never called us to build fancy, spiffy buildings. He did call us to be Christ to our neighbor. And this bugs me. This is something that really bugs me about the contemporary contemporary American church, if I can say that correctly, is that we've lost our priorities. We've lost what should be number one to us, which is helping those who are in need find Jesus. And instead, we're very concerned with our own comfort. We're very concerned with growing big churches. By that, I mean growing large numbers of people that go to nice buildings. But we've become less interested in reaching out to those who actually need to hear the gospel. That doesn't mean that these churches that are planning the fund drives are doing bad things necessarily, but it means that maybe our priorities are not quite straight. And I wonder how much of this comes from this mindset that we're, we've kind of taken from the world the mindset that bigger is better. Bigger buildings, more buildings, more staff, more of everything is what we're really called to do. When Jesus said, no, the least among you is going to be the greatest. Paul talks about how the, the church was not drawn from the great and powerful and the intellectual people of the day, but that it was drawing from the people who had nothing. So I just want us to think about that. Not many of us are pastors of churches that have 1,400 or 10,000 in attendance. But many of us are members of churches that are like that. Many of us are members of smaller churches. And when it comes time to decide how we're going to spend our money, which is one of the most important things we decide in a large church, or in a small church too for that matter, when we come together and decide how we're going to spend our money, what we're going to use, what God has given us, what are we going to do with that? We need to remember what we're here for. And nowhere in the Bible, nowhere with the apostles teaching, nowhere anywhere will you see God calling us to build fancy facilities with the latest and greatest sound system and the most terrific amenities that any church can have. God never calls us to that. Instead, he calls us to be Christ to our neighbor. He calls us to get out there and tell people. And the fact that 29% of uh, churches in this survey are expecting significant to moderate increases in facilities, but only 20% are are anticipating significant increases in missions giving tells me that we're out of whack. It would be great if those numbers were reversed or if all the churches were saying we're going to give more to missions. In a time where there's more economic hardship, We need to be out there spreading the message and using what we have to reach out to people who are actually in need. I'm afraid that's not what we're doing, at least according to the survey. So if you're in a position where you can impact what happens with the money that's used through the churches, use that to remind people of the priority that we have to spread the gospel and to help people in need, because that's really what God has called us to do, rather than have a fancy building or the nicest building or the best building in town, or the best facilities in town. He's called us to be Christ to our neighbor, and I hope we can do that. Now, let's look and see what we can find from 1 Peter chapter 1. (laughs) 
Okay, I want us to look at First Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 today. I was uh, looking at this passage, and it reminded me of my relationship with my kids in a certain way, uh, which is, uh, I don't trust them to handle really important stuff. My kids are 6, 5, and 3, and yes, we are very busy at our house. Uh, beyond that, I don't trust them with important things. Uh, you know, I don't let them handle the keys to the car. I don't let them uh, put my wallet away. I don't let them do a lot of stuff that uh, they're not really able to take care of at this point. And I was re reminded of that. I was reminded of that when I was reading this passage. Let me read it for you. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Our salvation was too important to God for him to entrust it to us. And I want us to see in this passage that God has given us this great gift First of all, the gift that he gave us is this new birth that he talks about, that Peter talks about in this passage. It's the new creation that we become when we come to Christ and we ask him to forgive us and to lead us. And he gives us this new birth, says we're given a living hope. You know, there's no reason for a Christian to be hopeless because we have a living hope. The, the fact that God saved us proves that he is living and active and that our lives are counting for something, not only now, but our lives are destined for an eternity with, with the Lord. And an inheritance, which is this eternal life that we're talking about, the Holy Spirit that God gives us as our down payment, is what Paul says. The down payment that God is going to keep working in us and through us to accomplish what he wants. But God doesn't leave it up to us to keep us saved. I don't know if any of you ever have these thoughts about uh, whether you worry whether you're not you're actually saved or you're actually God's child or if God's happy with you or if you're doing enough to keep going. To, are we measuring up to the standard that God has? And we hear a lot of sermons, hear a lot of teachings that indicate that if you don't reach a certain level of activity, if you don't do certain things in your Christian life, that God isn't going to be pleased with you. But you know, really... God is pleased with us because we're his children. Just like I'm pleased with my kids because they're my kids. Sometimes they do things I don't like. Sometimes they do things that are hurtful that I wish they wouldn't do. But I still love them and I, they still measure up in my eyes. And it's even more true. It's even more true in God's sight because God is the perfect father. And he doesn't leave us to do the most important things, which is to save us and to keep us. In fact, in these verses here, it says that we are hidden. Our new lives, our new birth, our inheritance, our living hope is hidden and kept in heaven. See, the reason why I keep my keys and my wallet away from my three-year-old is because she'll lose it. You know, I won't be able to find them anymore. And frankly, we would do the same thing with our salvation. And that's why God doesn't trust us with it. That's why God says, I'm going to take care of this myself. And he does that because he loves us so much. But what does that mean to us? What does it mean that our inheritance, our hope, our new birth is kept by God in heaven? 
and it says that we're shielded by God's power. Well, it means that it's very, very important to God that he keeps us and keeps us in his family. It means that God doesn't want us to be in charge of our salvation. He says, I will take care of all of it myself. Frankly, we don't have to worry about it. It means to us, we don't have to be concerned that, oh man, I'm not measuring up. I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain. Well, you don't have an end of the bargain. Your end of the bargain is to just trust and rest in what God has already done for you. What it means is we are free. We are free from the worry of having to keep ourselves saved. We're free from the worry of having to keep ourselves in God's good graces. We're free from the worry of having to make sure that God is pleased with us because God is pleased with us. He's pleased with us because we've done what he asked us to do. Jesus said to do the work of the Father, which is to believe in the one that he has sent. So it frees us to be free from worry, also frees us to go out and do. You know, a lot of people don't do anything because they're afraid. And fear is one of those things that paralyzes people. But you know, for Christians, we don't need to be afraid. If we think God is calling us to do something, we just go out and do it. Because we know that we're not going to fail because we're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in what God has already done for us. So if you ever have those feelings, if you ever have the feeling like God's not happy with you, like you're not measuring up, just remember what the, what the truth is. The truth is that God loves you. The truth is that he is hiding your salvation. He is keeping it in heaven. He is protecting it by his power. And that should free you from the worry, from the, uh, the, the, from the despair that comes sometimes. It should free you from all that. And just to enjoy and live in and do what God calls you to do in his power and his strength. And I hope that's encouraging to you. It is for me because sometimes I get all tangled up and worried and upset because I'm not doing things quite the way I should. But really what I need to do is just rest in what God's already done for me. And in that rest, I'm able to do a lot more, but it's not because I'm trying to please him. It's because he's already pleased in me. Well, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it helps you to rest more in the Lord and in the power of his salvation. And I hope that you just will be encouraged in the week ahead. If you have any questions, comments, anything like that, let me know. You can find me at the blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com or at the email, which is nftw at sbcglobal.net. I hope to hear from you. Until next week, God bless.